Every episode of The Angry Chicken is made possible by our amazing patrons over at patreon.com slash tag. For more of Jocelyn's content, check out jossplays.com. And if you can't get enough of Ridiculous Hat, follow him over on Twitter at Ridiculous Hat. The Angry Chicken is a production of A-Move TV. Time's up. Let's do this. You smell like a leper gnome! I knew it! So hot! A podcast about Hearthstone and Battlegrounds. This is The Angry Chicken! Hello and welcome to episode 496 of The Angry Chicken. I am your host and anchor this week, Ridiculous Hat. As a reminder, Joss is out, medical stuff, so we had to line up just the absolute best guests in the in the business, but Joss, hope you're feeling better. And also, shout out to one Garrett. He used to host the show, but it's his birthday today. So happy birthday, Garrett! Hooray! <laughs> and we do have someone here. Now, he's making my job easier, because first of all, he came here right after his stream. Second of all, he raided, so thank you, Dragon Army. And third of all, I don't have to introduce him, because his name is Brian Kibler. Hello, Brian Kibler. How are you? How are Hi! You? <laughs> so, how was your stream? Because you made the brave decision of, after we knew there was a patch, but before it happened, let's just go and go and jump on ladder. <laughs> it is always a little bit weird, you know, you kind of have the lame duck period of uh, of a metagame when it's like, okay, these things are being changed, and no one really cares about what's happening now, but I guess I'm still going to stream Hearthstone? Hooray! <laughs> I saw the game where you faced two wild pawn gnolls on two into Putricide on three, and you said, and I quote, Knoll is getting nerfed tomorrow, and it's not soon enough. And then you went yep. and took the dogs out. So I think that's a great metaphor and really thank that player for just winding you up for the episode we're about to have because we have like a kind of a lot going on in the Blizzard Hearthstone world. Um, Before we get there, though, I want to talk to you about something very important that happened today. You launched a show called Commander at Home with this incredible logo that for those of you that don't know the magic logo it's the magic logo sitting in a chair i don't know how it looks so naturally seamless your designer did an amazing amazing job um oh yeah <laughs> tell us about the show i want to hear about it i want to so hear yeah it. this is uh commander at home it is a a magic the gathering commander gameplay show that uh my girlfriend olivia and i launched uh first episode this morning and uh we we're super excited because you know uh, she's been playing Commander for forever. She is on the, the Magic Commander Rules Committee. Um, I only recently got into playing Commander about, I think, a year and a half ago at this point, but really, really have fallen in love with the format. And uh, we decided, you know, we had been guests on various other people's shows and we're like, you know what, we should we should do our own show. And we've been doing like Commander Nights at our house and are like, this is just what we're going to do the show about is, you know, just people hanging out at our house playing commander like we do when we have people over every month to do these commander nights. And, you know, most of our guests are, are just people who have been to our commander nights uh, because, you know, we, we know a lot of cool people like Ben Brode, as you can see in the, uh, the thumbnail for episode one, he's a regular at our commander nights. And, uh, you know, it's always a blast to play with. It's just casual. Like, Hey bro, do you want to come over? Okay. And 
really the summation of your time in card games. We actually have some some questions in the chat where you are your Hearthstone career is its own career as a content creator at this point. When did you start streaming the game? 2015, so I started stream. I started streaming. Period in 2011. I started streaming Magic, um, and I started streaming Hearthstone in late 2014. Um, I, I basically started streaming Hearthstone shortly before Goblins vs Gnomes released, um, and then started basically streaming full time. Um, not that long after, it was. It was. Uh, what was it like? May of 20. 15 was when I started doing content creation full time and, and quit doing game design and such. So by the time you started streaming period, you were already in the magic hall of fame. Yes. <laughs> and then you started the new thing, which now a lot of people know you for exclusively. I mean, obviously everyone knows you have a magic background. You like playing games. And I think one of the most compelling things about your content uh, is that you don't have to stick to a game and you happen to play a lot of different things, a lot of different ways, and it gives some variety. Plus, if you don't like the meta, you just don't play whatever game you don't like the meta and it gives you a lot of freedom. It's true. Yeah, it, it is a little bit funny because when people ask me, you know, oh, what would be your tips for someone trying to get into streaming? And I'm like, well, I can't really give you, you know, the 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 like buy the book way that I did it because I started playing games, you know, 20 years before, you know, <laughs> games competitively 20 years before I started streaming and became, you know, recognized as one of the best in the world at that and also worked on many other games as a designer before Twitch existed. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's not really the path of like, you know, oh, do these things. It's like, you know, be a person who you you know, would have to have spent all this entire lifetime becoming and people just want to watch what you have to say. Step one, excel in a brand new genre of games for multiple decades. Step two, you know, maybe profit. Who knows? You know, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. Well, thank you so much for ending your day of pre nerf Hearthstone with us and hanging out here. And uh, we kind of have a lot to talk about. I didn't plan this, but this is kind of a very dense episode that's going to be a little critical of Blizzard. But, uh, you know, there are things that need to be discussed, and some things are due to how the world is, and some things are due to decisions that were made. So we'll uh, we'll dive into that. Oh, but before we do, uh, we want to thank our Epic Patrons. The TAC, supported by your Epic Patrons. You're wonderful, you're great, you're amazing, you know that already. You can become a TAC patron by going over to patreon.com slash TAC. Gives you access to the Discord server and, you know, get to talk to us. It's fun. We want to give a big thanks to ADC4 for upping their pledge this week. All right, all right, all right. Let's jump into the news. Good news, everyone! (laughs) So where do we start? Oh, yeah. Uh, the esports program. So we're going to start with a lighter topic where uh, we talk about the dissolution, or not dissolution, but dramatic scale back of Hearthstone esports. For those of you that are not as clear on the details, um, there's a really, really big reduction in number of events and payout. There are seven total events for the year, including both Master Tours, three Master Tours, three Lobby Legends, and then Worlds. That's kind of it. All qualification is done through ladder. Uh, there are points given out, and Master Tours can earn you Worlds invites without guaranteed money, but the Master Tours don't actually pay out themselves. The Lobby Legends do. $50,000 USD prize pool because they don't feed anything in particular. 
There is also a fairly long FAQ that um, the answers, I think, were generally viewed as not that satisfying for a lot of people that were that had the questions. They are frequently asked, but there aren't a lot of answers given here. Um, and I mean, some of these questions, does this mean that Hearthstone is declining? The answer, the current scope of Hearthstone Esports is separate from the success of Hearthstone. We are thrilled with the upcoming content plans for the game and can't wait for players to get to see what is being worked on in the years to come. I don't think that we're in an HGC scenario with Heroes of the Storm, but I also don't think this answer would comfort me if I was looking to be comforted. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because actually the other day, just after the release of all this information, I had like a Facebook memory that was like, pictures from the world championship in Amsterdam and like, you know, had like all the big player portraits across the wall and like this huge, huge, uh, you know, live event. And, you know, the, 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 the big like controversy with that was like someone fired the confetti cannon too early, you know, in the finals or whatever. And now it's like hmm, confetti cannon. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty crushing, you know, as, as someone who, Spent a lot of time involved in the Hearthstone esports program, uh, not as a competitor, but as a as a as a caster, commentator. Um, you know, I had a lot of really really great times and really amazing memories that I was able to, you know, make through that. And you know, things like broadcasting, you know, the the uh, cast in the finals of uh, what was it, 2015, I think at BlizzCon when when Pavel won. And in, amusingly enough, with the, oh, the name yeah. of this show, I I think it was someone got a uh, a angry chicken off of a Maelstrom portal, and you know I'm just like you know to the the, the whole crowd at BlizzCon, I'm like let's hear it for angry chicken, and like the room roars, and it's like you you know you you just can't have that with the sort of things that have happened with Hearthstone esports in the past few years, and just the incredible decline you know obviously that we see uh, through what the announcement is for next year. And that was the that tournament had one of the most famous, if not the most famous, esports match in Hearthstone history with Paveling Book, where against Amnesiac multiple times, just the perfect rules, multiple games in a row, in a row, and it was an iconic victory that is still remembered to this day. And it just it hasn't felt the same for a while. And there are a lot of factors going into it, but I'm wondering. So the YouTube transition is constantly pointed at as something that really had a dramatic impact on esports. Do you think that was a, a like the prompting factor, a contributing symptom, or just or maybe a red herring? I view the current state of, of Hearthstone esports and like the rapid decline, basically, or at least the, the, the steady decline over the past few years as being symptomatic of, of a couple of things. One is definitely the, the move to YouTube. Um, I, I mentioned this a bit on Twitter recently that I think that a huge percentage of people who watched Hearthstone esports were casual Hearthstone fans who, if they saw a big event on Twitch, would very frequently tune in because they enjoyed watching it, but were not like hardcore fans to the point that they would go out of their way to find a broadcast on another platform. So when Hearthstone moved to YouTube, you lost all of those people. And Hearthstone basically grew up on Twitch. Right. Like Hearthstone became big because it was so easily watchable and built a huge audience on Twitch. So the fact that it moved away from that audience, it lost all of those casual viewers, and, you know, in its move to YouTube. And unlike the other games that that Blizzard moved to YouTube, like uh, Overwatch or the Call of Duty League, they didn't have like a ton of advertising spent or like, you know, information in the game clients driving people to those YouTube broadcasts. 
You know, that, like there were some very limited uh, things that would put point people to like the world championship, for instance, for Hearthstone. I think that might have been in the launcher, but I don't even know if it was necessarily. This is just me being like, I think that happened. But you'd think that, that sort of thing would be pretty prominent. Um, and then I think the other the other major issue um, was really with the Grandmasters. I think there was kind of the the decline of interest for a lot of people who weren't necessarily the absolute top players at that time who got into Grandmasters. A lot of disillusionment in the system um, with the shift to Grandmasters even before the YouTube uh, move that really led to, you know, a lot of sameness in the broadcasts. It's like, oh, it's just the same people playing the same decks week after week. And it's just like less fun than, you know, the playoffs or the championships that, you know, were the primary major broadcasts that they had before. And I think that was like a push that Bo- Magic did as well in a very similar way with their Magic Pro League. Uh, and and my understanding is there there were actually some people who were, were like moving between the esports and marketing teams of those two companies around that same time, which makes a lot of sense. There'd be cross-pollination of, you know, ideas that were going on. But frankly, I think it was a bad idea in both accounts because I think what people enjoy watching for card game, you know, like esports basically, is the sort of dream, right? Like the aspiration of that could be me or seeing, you know, a top player play against their friend or, you know, any number of of like, not necessarily like, hey, I just want to see the best people in the world play against each other because it's hard to tell what separates the best players in the world in a card game from everyone else, especially to the average viewer, unless they have like unbelievably good commentary all the time. Yeah, which is a rare thing. And I just keep going back to the World Champs in Amsterdam. That was that was a magic World Champs, right? Like it's, or was that Hearthstone? The Hearthstone World Championship in Amsterdam. Hearthstone. That was in 2017? Man. The Magic like- World Championship were in Amsterdam in 2013. I played in that and I cast the, World, uh, the Hearthstone World Championships in Amsterdam in 2017. I'm going to need to get a Zodiac bulletin board to keep track of all this stuff. <laughs> there was... I remember this dream, you know, as a younger man, I chased this because that's the sort of thing you can do when you're a younger man with with the need to believe in something without the reality of the world yet at your doorstep. Um, And Magic's slogan at the time was play the game, see the world. And that was, in my opinion, the peak of the dream, because shortly after that, there became a lot of lifestyle support systems that came into play that ended up being well-intentioned, but the execution ended up being more exclusive than inclusive in many ways. Um, and also really kind of undersold the need for all of these people that want to be professional players that know maybe you should be a professional brand and playing is how you open the door, not how you guarantee a, a lifestyle for perpetuity. Um, I just remember that dream and then... You're right, Grandmasters, it's kind of telling when a program makes people lose interest when it starts, when it goes, and when it ends, because all three of those points were kind of uh, friction points for people that were either pro or pro-adjacent, and it was really interesting to see. I remember Monsanto talked about it, where it went from a system where a very small number of people could realistically make Hearthstone their full-time job to a more equitable system where nobody could. Kind of fascinating to see. You you actually had a thread on the MPL that I have referenced more times than I can count. um, (laughs) Where this also starts to talk about the COVID impact, which is a very real impact because seeing your friends was a huge reason why people stayed involved. 
Uh, do you think that was a precipitating factor here as well for Hearthstone? Because it's fascinating to me to hear that people were going back and forth between the companies, but it kind of makes sense. You look at how the programs came together. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I do think that I think that Hearthstone was hit by COVID less hard than Magic was just because Magic fundamentally was, you know, the vast, vast majority of what you did in Magic was play live events for most people. Um, and that Hearthstone, uh, you know, obviously they had their events that were live, but those were live basically because they wanted them to be, not because they had to be. And frankly, like, I, you know, I actually feel like, you know, even pre, even pre COVID there were, you know, like the playoffs and such that were like done at like the, the tavern events, you know, over the years that you had to go basically to ensure people weren't, you know, getting outside help was the whole point of that. Um, amusingly that like, you know, when, once they actually went to the master stores that were online, even when they didn't necessarily have to have them online, you know, sort of post peak COVID, they just kept doing them online because well, like it's clearly vastly cheaper but I, I do think that you lose a lot of the the allure both for players and viewers, right? Like seeing, you know, both the players and the casters like just clearly in bedrooms or like a bedroom with a backdrop, you know, whatever at best, it you know certainly doesn't make things seem cool and exclusive in the same way that like, you know, someone getting handed a trophy and like, you know, on a stage or whatever does, right? So I, I think that that from a like, a esteem standpoint, the on like the move to pure online events for Hearthstone was a pretty big hit. Um, but I, I think that, and I think that for a lot of players who, you know, like, like you mentioned, were kind of traveling to events and everything, not being able to go and see people kind of like, it's like, okay, well, why am I doing this now? Right? Like, I don't actually want to sit in a dark room and just grind this for, you know, a million hours a day when the, you know, the payoff is like, maybe I get to compete in another event in this same bedroom and maybe win some money, right? Yeah, it's... And it, it feels like it created this kind of waterfall effect as well where the tour stop system was very involved. There were a lot, a lot of broadcasts. You did a few of them, the global games. Like, it felt like anytime I turned on Twitch, there was Hearthstone going on. And my biggest concern back then was, I don't know what this event is for, but that concern is, is long gone because now there are no events to worry about. This uh, event is for so, nothing because it's an event that's happening because yeah. none of them are for anything <laughs> or there's just yeah. no events. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and, I, I do think that there was there was, you know, I wish we had those concerns now. Right. The concerns of like, you know, oh, well, this isn't quite clear. I don't know like what the standings are in this. It's like, well, now there's just nothing to really care about. And that's I, I don't remember if that was in that that thread that you just pulled up or uh, something else. But one of the things that I think is really important um, is people just feeling like. It matters that they, you know, that, that they're not wasting their time just playing the game, right? That one of the big things for, you know, competitive players, period. And I think it, it might have been actually a, a, a discussion about, like, Magic Standard, actually, um, was, you know, hey, why don't people play Magic Standard anymore? You know, why why is it kind of, like, died as a competitive format? And it's like, well, there's no reason to. It used to be that people would, you know, play magic standard and let's say you know we'll, we'll, we'll say hearthstone standard whatever whatever the whatever the, uh, the the primary competitive format is the level of interest outside of and hearthstone's a bit different obviously because it's just that's what the primary game mode is for a latter period um but like other than playing on like magic arena people don't really like play like standard at local stores right like cards in recent sets aren't really worth anything because no one really needs them for tournaments because there aren't tournaments that feel like they matter you know, when it's like, okay, most of the tournaments are this format, so people want to play this format and get good at this format and watch people playing this format, 
so that they, you know, maybe they can qualify for a big event, right? So that they can participate in something that feels like it matters, right? Like feeling like you're not just wasting your time playing this game all the time is I think one of the biggest drivers of what like, you know, like what makes organized play at various levels important and, you know, removing everything, but like, oh, well, you need to make, you know, top 16 of the ladder to qualify for one of these things for the world championship. That being the only thing that matters, I think is so out of reach for most people and also feels like such a, 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 uh, an unlikely scenario, kind of like the the MPL or Grandmasters Leagues, right? It feels like, okay, well, nothing that I can do is really relevant to, to actually chasing this, you know, outside of like some tremendous quirk of fate. Agency, a feeling of agency, a feeling of relevance, a feeling of impact. Yeah, it's if I were to describe the cannibalization from what I know as someone that uh, used to be very dialed into magic, but isn't anymore, reminds me of when BGs came out and the interest mm-hmm. shifted so dramatically uh, as, you know, Grandmasters ramped up on the standard side, people were like, well, I'll just jam some BGs, because, you know, there was the... And, and the eventually realized rumor of some kind of competitive BGs, and, you know, it became obvious the popularity of that format was going to lead to something eventually. Uh, but yeah, the idea of what I'm doing matters. I have seen a surprising number of people that maybe weren't even entering qualifiers, but the game was a proxy for a dream, and once the this esports announcement came out, the dream no longer had any stable footing, no plausible deniability. You couldn't even fool yourself into saying, well, I'm still playing for competitive, even if I'm not competing, because there just isn't anything realistic to compete for. Uh, the qualification, you have to be top 69 ladder multiple times to get points. Uh, for the vast majority of people, that's just a time investment they already know they're not going to make. And we've seen what it looks like when ladder is the most rewarded system. I hope you're not doing anything it's on the 31st horrible. of any month. Yeah. It's just so, so grindy. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that this is enough of a disillusionment for people to finally call it. And it's clear that, well, I've heard the argument that Blizzard is going to wait and see if esports comes back before they fund it. No, absolutely not. If they needed it, they would have spent more now. If they lost it during COVID and they needed it, they spend more now. They're cutting the spending because what we've seen in Magic, what you talked about during COVID, which I think is a big deal. If you drop pro play and your sales stay the same, why would you spend the money? So yeah, as a value proposition, I mean, we've kind of seen the esports bubble start to shrink in a more global way. I know you're a big LCS fan, and there's kind of some chatter over on that side too. I mean, where do you think esports is headed? I know it's a big question, but I'm curious where your perspective is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a you know a, a big question. I mean, I think that there's there's two like points of, of, of like, I got two heads of the Hydra here, I guess, as far as like esports are concerned, there's, there's esports as, you know, whether it's run by the company that makes the game, whether it's run by third parties and there's esports organizations and then esports organizations. And like, you know, the, those as like business ventures kind of have, have been in a lot of ways, like vaporware for a while for, for, for a lot of them. You know, it's like it's a lot of like chasing investors to put more money in to get bigger. To and then it's like, okay, but where is the money ever coming from, right? Like, where is the revenue ever coming from? And it doesn't actually feel like there is necessarily for a lot of these companies a sustainable model. And we see, you know, we've seen layoffs for a, a you know a number of of large esports organizations, you know, uh, recently. And 
I this is not something that I'm I'm you know by any means an expert in or have particular insider information in, but I you know I look at like you know okay are you really making enough money like with these sponsorships or you know selling merch to justify like the level of player salaries that you see in some of these games you know is it, is it like just sort of pursuing that like well we want to just keep throwing our valuation higher to get more investment dollars because we have like more you know, brand recognition worldwide or whatever it is. But like most of these companies it seems pretty, you know, like one of them went, went public, uh, phase clan went public and their, their share price is like way, way lower than when they actually went public. Now, I think it's like something like 20 cents and it was like 20 bucks when they IPO would. Right. Their stock is below a dollar. They're risking, they're risking a deficiency notice now. Like they're under a dollar. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, Oh boy. I got tagged oh about that boy. this morning. Well, it's a bad time to own an esports org. Yeah, it's rough. But and then I think the other side, you know, outside of like, okay, can you make money as an esports organization? Is like, in what way do esports make sense for a company to run? Right? Like, does it make sense for Blizzard to run competitive events and have the level of support they had for a long time? In the way that they did it, frankly, probably not. Right. Unless they view the the uh, level of marketing and not just marketing, but I think more importantly at this stage of Hearthstone's life cycle is player retention, not player acquisition through competitive events. I think player retention is much more the role of it at this stage in the life cycle of a game like Hearthstone. Um, and, you know, do they think that, well, if this goes away, do we lose like a lot of players? Do we lose enough players that it is financially incorrect for us to get rid of this because, you know, and like my understanding based on like, a, you know, that, that FAQ as well, because one of the things was like, you know, it does it make sense given the, uh, the, the number, the, the size of the competitive, uh, player base, right? So heading into the 2023 season, we have been evaluating the state of our competitive program in the best format for its take moving forward. We began thinking about setting Hearthstone Esports up for sustainability as it turns a decade old, balancing the realities of an ever-changing production landscape, sizing the program according to its audience, and finding the most direct path forward for players to compete. Even though the 2023 program is smaller, it's years poised to bring another exciting year, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it's sizing the program according to its audience and then cutting something by 80% um, should send an unfortunately clear message. And I remember a bunch of content creators talking about if they included esports in their video titles, the views were bad. I I, I feel like one of the things because you know there was not that long ago, it was like a few years ago when there was the talk of like you know the the tournament mode or whatever the, the you know in Hearthstone, and uh, I think it was Patrick Sullivan who replied to one of the tweets about this a couple of weeks ago. He's like, you know, if if Hearthstone had just figured a way to like you know run in client tournaments and charge like a few dollars like each time they do, like they would have taken thousands of my dollars by this point. And that's one of the things that's actually really interesting and, and to a degree baffling to me is that they have not made progress outside of like Heroic Tavern Brawl. You know, Heroic Tavern Brawl, I think, is is like the kind of structure that they could use for competitive Hearthstone in client. And having that like not just be a once every whoever knows how many months sometimes comes around replaces the existing Tavern Brawl. So makes a lot of players mad. Like if they if they just had like a way for players to compete in what felt like a meaningful way outside of ladder that they could, you know, spend a couple bucks to maybe, you know, win, whether it's packs or whether it's dollars, you know, uh, magic arena has done their, their like, you know, arena opens or whatever that have cash prizes. 
that are extremely popular among players. Um, and, you know, I have to imagine do quite well. And it's, it's kind of, kind of shocking to me if like Hearthstone is like looking at, you know, these various other forms of, of, you know, monetization or whatever that they haven't actually really looked more seriously into doing that. And especially if, if they're looking to like kind of move away from doing these big produced competitive events as their primary, uh, primary sort of competitive program, having it be something that just exists automatically in the client, what they have a lot of infrastructure for already, it feels like, seems like it would be almost a no brainer to, you know, try and explore that path. And Patrick worked for a long time for Direwolf Digital on a game called Eternal, which been around for a while now, scrappy little card game. Uh, that's gosh, it's been around for a minute. Uh, and they had, their structure was always, they have a siloed weekend ladder, a separate ladder that you play for the weekend. There's a leaderboard that keeps track of your win-loss ratio over your 20 games. The first 20 games you play, top 64, get placed in a tournament with a preset time. I think it's the following week or, or two weeks after. And then it's a 64-person bracket and you just do the tournament. And so Heroic Tavern Brawl, except keep track of whoever does well and then progress them imagine the system is you have heroic tavern brawl and it costs however much it costs to enter you know maybe it's the same as now maybe it's different whatever and that you know if you if you reach at least 10 wins it qualifies you for a separate event which you could then play maybe it's at a scheduled time or maybe it's just like a a more exclusive heroic tavern brawl ladder and that has like legitimate prizes Right. It's not just like dust and packs or whatever. Maybe that can win you like actual dollars. And, you know, you can you can imagine like how many people would play, would spend however much time and money doing this kind of chasing this. Right. And I know that there was a period, at least when um, Blizzard was really, really resistant about having entry fees for any Hearthstone event. Like, you know, people wanted to run like, you know, qualifier events for whatever, and they they wanted to charge like five bucks and they just could not do so. And, you know, I, I have to imagine that they've, it's been long enough since then. And now particularly things like, you know, the heroic tavern brawl, that they have at least substantial entry fees in, in client. Um, though those, those do involve gold. So maybe, you know, that that's like not necessarily against that philosophy. And, uh, you know, despite that, that, you know, they, they could create something like that. And yeah, similarly, like with the, um, some of the, the information in the esports announcement too, where they're basically just like, well, we don't have any support for third party tournaments this year. And also we're not really doing any of our own. It's like, okay, like you won't really like support other people trying to pick up the banner that you're clearly, you know, setting down for having like a legitimate competitive environment. It just, it just feels like such strange decisions kind of one after another. I don't know. There are, a lot of mitigating factors going on here. And, you know, really, if you're making this kind of decision to save money, I imagine their point here is to remove all administrative overhead. The ESL contract, probably gone. Uh, I don't know what they're doing with the employees currently at Hearthstone Esports, though, as far as I know, it was just really just Abar who had the program as his only responsibility. I hope they find something for him to do because he's great and did everything he could with... uh, what was clearly a deck stacked against him. And also, of course, uh, the loss of the China region has a dramatic impact on the revenue of the entire company, especially Team 5, because Hearthstone, I believe, was their biggest region. And, like, I remember Eloise posting 
many, many years ago, uh, before the last two ladder systems where China broke 100,000 legends in the old, old system. It's just, it's an enormous region with a lot of really amazing players. I mean, VK Lion is Chinese world champion. Um, I can't imagine what pressure that placed on the budget, but also it doesn't seem like, like you said, they're even willing to allocate the internal resources to helping a different company do this. They don't even have a person. So, but also, to segue, bluntly, they would also have to play standard in the Heroic Tavern Brawl, and maybe we need that to be a little bit different. Luckily, we got one of these teaser images. The the second one of these we've had, the first one with more circles, because last time we just got the four circles. They're changing, what is this? A lot of cards. cards, 24 cards. So, there are little images. There's also a BG's one. Listeners, we just don't have the time. So, we'll talk about BG's some other time. But Standard has a lot going on. Brian just played a full day of Standard. Bless his heart. So, we're going to go over the Standard changes. We know for sure we're going to get nerfs to... Wyopon Knoll, Sinstone Graveyard, Final Showdown, Sinful Brand, Glacial Advance, Shockspitter, and Astalor. As far as buffs, there are a few DK buffs to Unholy Frenzy, Battlefield, Necromancer, and Boneguard Commander. Um, I'm not going to stop and read the text for all these cards. Just know that all the things being buffs almost entirely are just only played by my guest here on the show. Um, <laughs> including Vengeful Walloper, you played today in Outcast DH. Wither. I'm pretty sure I played all of these cards. You, that's kind of your thing. No, I, I haven't played the, 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 the Lifesteal, uh, what is it, Drakthar, whatever guy. Oh, the Warlocker. Have, yeah. Yeah. Um... So there's a couple of mage cards, Vast Wisdom and Energy Shaper for some casino fun. There's Time Warden for Dragon Pal. And, uh, I know what's coming tomorrow. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. Got some Priest cards, Haunting Nightmare, Basileth, and Bonecaller, all part of the Undead Priest thing. A couple of Warlock cards, Infantry Reanimator and Darkon, Drathir, uh, Asvindon, and Last Stand, and Disruptive Spellbreaker, and Remordia, and Nellian Warrior, which hopefully becomes a real class again after getting Butchered in Voyage and then uh, in Rage Warrior Bust for the last couple of expansions. Well, we don't know the changes, but I think we can say this is going to be a fairly significant shakeup, and a lot of these align with some suggestions you might have had recently. Um, that never happens. That never happens. I don't. <laughs> yeah, but it happens once in a while. So I'm going to have you repeat some of the stuff you said. Where do you think that these changes are going, and why do you think they need to go there? Because I'm guessing that you're on board with the general direction being advertised here. Yeah, I mean, I I think that this is great. You know, I I love seeing both. Yeah, the the general gist of of all of the decks that I I think most people feel are, are particularly problematic, uh, getting hit pretty hard. Um, well, I don't know how hard, but you know when when I did my most recent video uh, on the the state of the standard metagame, the the two things that I called out the most were Wild Panol and basically Quest Demon Hunter. Uh, Wild Panol specifically, I, I was just like, get just get rid of the Maester interaction. It's dumb. It's been dumb. We've seen it be a problem, you know, in previous metagames, like when there was like weapon poison rogue or whatever. And it's like, haha, we just January. used secret passage. The same time last January. It was this, basically the same thing, right? It was exactly the same kind of deck where it's just like they're just looking to use this and ways to get extra cards into their hand before their, you know, Maestra is uh, revealed and their disguise is broken. They discount their nulls and get ridiculous board control early for basically no cost. And I, I'm hopeful that that's what we're going to see here. You know, there there was the brief window where they changed it to like six cost or whatever, and it's like, 
just make the card do what it feels like it should do, which is give you a rebate on the fact that you spent mana getting off-class cards in a Thief Rogue deck, right? It being something that rewards you for trading Cutlass and playing Poison Belt is just silly. And it, it makes a ton of different decks completely, you know, get absolutely steamrolled if you're trying to do anything on the board in the early turns that can't deal with a 3-5, which frankly is most minion decks of any kind, right? Like, unless you're playing some sort of combo or control deck or, you know, explosive rogue thing yourself, that's just, you know, going to be bigger than anything that you could potentially do at that stage of the game. And especially in combination with Shadow Step, can just absolutely decimate early boards. And we do see the nerf here to Astalor. I feel like Astalor wasn't necessarily as big of a problem outside of Rogue. Uh, I feel like Rogue and obviously the, the Druid combinations can be frustrating, but they at this point, you know, they, they require Guff at least, so they're not something that can happen super early. Um, but, you know, I feel, I feel like I'm curious to see what they do to Astalor because Astalor is a sort of card. There's a lot of knobs you can tweak. Obviously, Mana Cost is a very easy one. Uh, mana Thirst is is also a, a, a knob there. And I feel like just increasing the mana thirst on Astalor could be a really big uh, change in particular in where I feel like the kind of abusive cases are with like Rogue and Shadow Step, being able to get a ton of board control with the Shadow Step on like, say, turn three, you know, four or five. Maybe they increase the mana thirst and, you know, it becomes harder to use at those key points in the game. But obviously, you know, they're also hitting Null and Graveyard, uh, uh, you know, Maybe they increase graveyard's cost. Maybe they make graveyard minions lose stealth. I've seen that that suggestion a few times. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely a lot of hits to that, which I think is really kind of public enemy number one right now. And then the the quest, I, I've said nuke nuke the quest from orbit. Um, I don't know what they're going to do to the, uh, the, the Demon Hunter quest necessarily. It, one of the weird things about the Demon Hunter quest is making the stages require more cards isn't necessarily worse for it, right? You'd have to hit it like really hard in order to make it so that you're not actually just getting more cards discounted in a lot of cases, which could be kind of scary, right? Like if you just increase the the stages by like one card, it's like, okay, it's a little bit harder to do, but it's more powerful when I do it because it carries over whatever. It, the mechanism of the Demon Hunter quest, it rewards you for not finishing it. It's no one is losing to Demon Slayer Kurtris. People are losing to yeah. nine free mana from a one mana card. Yes. It's nine free mana is a lot. It's a lot. Like Rod costs five <laughs> and is still a scary card. And this costs 20, 20% of that. And is still, yeah. uh, it's like every time we've seen it, you know, I, I love Ironbound Brutes. I'm all about Brutes, but th it's being used for evil now. There's a lot of damage going out. Um, yeah. Now, I will say, Brian, we have to address this. You're saying I wish they had nuked this quest. I don't think you're wrong, but this fits with prior uh, dialogue you've had on this subject. And I want to I wanna kind of zoom out a little bit and talk about Hearthstone design in a larger way because you've had some concerns now over the past year and a half or so, really, since Stormwind came out, about the team's tendency to go into play all your stuff and draw a million cards decks. But also, we've seen some rather spirited debate on in, in some discourse, as you will, about these kind of strategies having appeal to players, myself included, if I'm being honest with you, though I think this meta should change, don't come at me in the comments, um, that there's a very narrow balance here of rewarding the players in an older game that want to do more powerful, crazy things while not also pushing other people out. You're a game designer. I'm curious where you think this goes. 
one of the comments that I got a lot on that video, and the video I posted with the title Cards Should Cost Mana, um, uh, and and a lot of commentary I've seen surrounding, you know, the issue of uh, of cost reduction. You know, people call it mana cheat. I hate that name. Cost reduction mm. <laughs> um, in Hearthstone uh, is a lot of people saying, well, just make it so that there's a general rule that cards can't cost less than one. And, you know, you solve all these problems. I'm like, you solve all these problems and you also make the game remarkably boring, right? Like you, you really, one of the, the really important things is that that there are big, exciting moments. There's cool pop-offs that can happen in a game, particularly, as you mentioned, a game that's been around for as long as Hearthstone has. You know, if you if you now go back and say, well, everything stinks now, you know, <laughs> you're going to you're going to lose a lot of players rather than gain players who see something and are like, wow, that's cool. And I think it's important for players who enjoy the experience of having those big combo style turns to have decks that they can play. Uh, I do think that the number of those style of decks that have existed and the power level of those decks that have existed over the past, as you mentioned, year and a half or so, has just been significantly too high. Like, both in terms of population and in terms of power level, I think that, you know, there being, like, a combo style deck that exists in any given metagame is totally fine. But that be, that deck consistently being among the, among the, if not the best deck in those metagames is less fine. And I also think that anytime you have decks like that, you need to make sure that there are actually reasonable tools to fight against them. One of the things that I think is the most frustrating about the current iteration of uh, the Demon Hunter decks is that like, a lot of the traditional cards that you could use to disrupt a combo deck are useless against them because they're using Bounsoul. They're using the Scythe, so it's like, ah, I will get their combo piece. No, you will not. It's a spell in their hand. So you have, you know, kind of all of these various factors that have come together to make, I think, this particular iteration of the draw a bunch of cards, kill you deck more powerful and more frustrating than it normally is because it happens so quickly and disruption doesn't work against it nearly as well as it could in, in, in a lot of other metagames. So I do think that like a deck that can assemble a bunch of stuff and play it all in one turn is important that it can exist. And I don't want anything like rules that you can't reduce mana or, you know, no mana reduction in general. I think that they should be, it should probably exist more sparingly and probably not, you know, guaranteed to start in your opening hand like a quest <laughs> and probably not just also be like, hey, you know what's good with mana reduction? Drawing cards. So you should draw cards to reduce the mana of your cards so you can draw more cards to reduce the mana of your cards. It's like, it's this kind of self-perpetuating cycle. When you frame it that way, it does sound kind of silly, you know? It's, what do I'm I think, know? It's a few things. I'm thinking back to, <laughs> I'm trying to think of an example of a deck that I that I liked that felt somewhat fair, and I understand they nerfed it, and I understand that it may not have been fair as to when it happened in the game, but something like Naga Mage, if you wanted to beat Naga Mage, Shield Shatter just demolished, like, they would go off and have this cool, go off, play a million things, play all these Naga on all these spells, and then you're like, alright, Shield Shatter, and they're like, oh, my stuff is dead. And then, and then you would go on. And that's also an example of the sort of thing where it's like, you you get to do a bunch of crazy cool stuff and feel and feel awesome, but the game doesn't just end. You know, there's there's actually a window for your opponent to respond to it. There's a very big difference between an opponent having like a, a Naga Mage pop-off turn and an opponent having a quest demon hunter or like old school quest mage pop-off turn where you just die, right? That like, oh, well, I have, you know, Encanter's Flow and I just, you know, 
gain mana back with my uh, my refreshing spring waters and cram session for a million and just, you know, ignite you a million times or whatever. It's like, OK, I, I'm just going to sit here and watch and hope you somehow screw up or whatever. But, you know, I mean, it's 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 a meme, but like, you know, you want it to be interactive, right? Like you want there to be a thing that it is much more fun if it is interactive. <laughs> You know, that, that, like one player is not just sitting there and watching the other player assemble all their cards and play them and there's nothing they can do. So, you know, like the I think that that those combos, again, they're they're OK. They should exist. There should be big, cool pop off play a million card combos. But them having possible interaction and response to them, them not just being something that ends the game, you know, and or there being quality disruption that you can play against them. And them not happening nearly as quickly as we've seen them happening. Obviously, like, you know, turn five, turn six kills are possible with the uh, the Demon Hunter deck in the current metagame. And, like, that's that's just really ridiculous, right? Especially when Sinful Brand is a card, the design is a little suspect because it it's whenever there's a combo deck that punishes you for having minions in play, as we've seen from Ilganoth in the past, it is just this worst feeling that we've known back to Patron where the correct thing to do was just never play for board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the, the, it's funny because it's like doubly so in that deck because of Unleashed Fell as well. It's like, if you have minions to play, not only will they stop you from being able to kill me, but they'll also kill you. Yeah, not a great deal. And I was, I was playing against one recently with Shockspitter Hunter, which I will say I, that card shouldn't cost two. And apparently something else is going to change around it. But I've enjoyed this current iteration, even though it probably needs to be toned down. But it was turn five and I was against a Demon Hunter. I'm like, all right, how can I make the most of my minions die right now so that they don't unleash fell me out of the game? And I'm <laughs> like, I understand the academic challenge of how can I play around their cards, having some level of compelling gameplay, but I'd also like it so that I don't have to say, all right, all my stuff has to die now and forever for the rest of the game in order for me to not be dead now and forever. Yeah, it, it is It is a, like... One of the one of the challenges in, in game design is making the thing that is correct to do the thing that is fun to do. And having the correct thing to be, I'm just not going to play anything, isn't fun. <laughs> So, you know, there's there's obviously there's also elements of that, too. It's like, you know, when you when you do make make decisions that are kind of against the the, you know, the mold, the grain, whatever, and and are successful because of them, that is fun as well. But making it so that, you know, it is it is universally incorrect in a lot of a lot of matchups to play anything feels really bad. And to speak to the correct thing to do, there have been. There have been some not- notable metas environments. Quest Mage is a great example, I think. Quest Mage was never the best competitive deck in the Stormwind meta. Ramp Druid, for example, with the Astor Kill is not the best competitive deck right now. It doesn't even have 50% win rate. Do you think that influences how the team should balance, or do you think that there are still reasons to address these, even though if you want to beat them, it's just a, a skill check in many ways? Well, it- it's it's not exactly a skill check. It's frequently a deck check, right? In the sense that right. there are there are like decks that can be good against you know it's like there's a lot of decks that are kind of like a raid boss that has a timer, like you know original Nax patchwork. Yeah. If you don't kill me by now, you're never going to kill me because I'm going to go berserk and kill you, right? For those who 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 get that reference, you're 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 a, you know an OG or whatever. But anyway, um, but yeah, like the I, I think that that. There is a 
a reasonable motivation to make balance changes to decks that aren't necessarily among the best decks because they are uh they create particularly frustrating play patterns that don't have significant levels of interaction available and i think that there's a couple of options one you can you can you know nerf those decks two you can create interaction and one of the things that we saw in you know the like the nathri expansion they're like, okay, we're going to make these powerful things like Denathrius and give you Theotar. And people hated Theotar. People hated Theotar oh, yes. so much. And, you know, I, I think that part of it was the combination of Denathrius and Theotar, because so many games came down to Theotar and Denathrius or not. But, you know, I, I think that that you, you, we sort of see the, the mentality of Hearthstone players, because Hearthstone players haven't really had very much like disruption ever. There's been very, very limited disruption in the exist, you know, in the entirety of Hearthstone. It, obviously, compared to something like Magic, where where you know, discard effects are, like are are all over. Counterspell effects, you know, those those are very, very, very uh, common types of cards that people are used to playing against, right? So those sort of things are are, are things that people are conditioned to know how to deal with. Uh, whereas in Hearthstone, it's like, nope, you, your hand's your hand, and you get to play your cards, and, you know, the solution has frequently just been, if you don't die, you get to play your cards. And so it's like, okay, well, I gotta kill you. And I think that, you know, the... You, you kind of have this tug of war of, well, I don't want to just have to kill my opponent to be able to deal with their thing, because I want to play a different type of deck than just a hyper-aggressive deck. You always have the, well, just play whatever insert aggro deck here as a solution to a lot of these decks. But then you have people, it's like, well, I don't want to play that deck. I want to play another deck. And it feels really bad to run into, you know, something that I feel like I can't do anything against. And with, you know, sort of the reaction that we've seen to people uh, having to Theotar, I, I think that we're mostly going to see those style of decks more likely to be toned down than see more interaction with those style of decks, just because at least the broad power level of Theotar, you know, of the, the choice the card type agnostic and the, you know, relative cost to the player. Um, you know, we, we obviously still see stuff like uh, Mutinous or Patchwork or, you know, the Disruptive Spellbreaker, which is apparently getting buffed in some way in this patch. So I think that, you know, we're, we're more likely to see more of that and less things like Theotar um, because, well, it turns out Hearthstone players don't like that. No, they don't. It's interesting. I think you encapsulated the paradigm between uh, the discourse around control, what is a control deck, and the reality is there's there's no control deck. There are control players, and a control player is actually not a control player. It's a reactive player. It's two things have to be true. One, I can stop what you do, and two, it can't be by killing you first. That is it. That is all it comes down to, but... That doesn't like that doesn't mean Iron Deep Trog. That doesn't mean just grind them out, no kill spell. It means I want to be able to stop what you do before I do my thing, and I don't want to stop you by killing you first. Well, I think I think there's there's a couple of layers to it. One is is like I I want to be able to play to have tools that allow me to play a game that goes to say turn nine, turn ten, and you know not have to end the game before then against most decks, right? And and I think that there there is definitely a reality that there are people who are just like, I want to play a fatigue deck that just runs my opponent out of stuff. And frankly, I think it is a good thing that, you know, Blizzard doesn't really support that very much at this point. Because I think that when we have had metagames where it's like, you know, oh, I'm just going to tank up forever. 
right? Those are really, really boring. And, you know, one of the things that has people playing, you know, Marvel Snap is, hey, I know how long my game's going to take. You know, it's going to be it's going to be like five, five minutes. Great. When you sit down and you want to play a quick game and most of the people on ladder or any high percentage of people on ladder are playing like the, you know, discover, create priest or tank up warrior or any number of these other decks that existed at various points in Hearthstone's history that were just like, I'm going to generate all these resources. You can't stop me. And I'm not really going to try and kill you until I find something that incidentally kills you. That's probably not a good thing to be like that popular and that powerful in Hearthstone. But I think that like, hey, I want to build a deck that looks to kill you with like a sequence of expensive minions, you know, like old school control warrior that would Alex Straza Grom you, right? That's fine. That kind of deck is, is, you know, great, right? And obviously the, the nature of threats and answers has changed a lot, a lot since then. So you're, you know, much less likely to have those same sort of dynamics that are, are able to exist, but it is, it is still very much the case that, you know, you, you, you want decks to be able to do that, or rather, I, I believe that you want decks to be able to, like, you know, play this long game where they get to their thing that wins that isn't just, like, some sort of infinite combo or, like, you know, from hand kill you. That it occurs over some number of turns. And there's, because Hearthstone doesn't have, like, lands, right? One of the big things in, like, Magic that you, you never really reach the sort of stalemates of just, like, I play a thing, I kill it, I play a thing, I kill it, is that one player just doesn't draw, you know, the right thing. And because of hero powers and the fact that there are no land cards in decks in Hearthstone, you're always drawing live and you always have stuff to do, which on the one hand is good, but on the other hand can make it so that stuff just never happens because I play a thing, you kill it. I play a thing, you kill it. And those sort of control matchups, which is why you end up with those weird, like, hey, I just generate endless things. Um, So, yeah, I feel like control as a strategy to me mostly means I am trying to play a longer game that, you know, I'm mostly answering your stuff and trying to win with something, but I think control as in like fatigue, run you out of stuff is something that they shouldn't really support. And as we see from the potential buff options, there are definitely some, well, disruptive, literally disruptive spellbreaker seems to be uh, on the list for a card that people are going to hate a lot more tomorrow than they do today. Um, but you look at cards like Nelly and Remornia and even Last Stand, these aren't cards that are designed to have a game go forever. They're designed to go turn 10-ish maybe, right? But the Nelly player is not picking South Sea Scoundrels to fatigue you. I mean, they could, but they're probably looking for a Mr. Smite and then they hit you for damage with Mr. Smite. Something like that. I, we don't know how they're going to change Nelly. I assume not a full revert because of the thing I just said. Um, but these are all buffs that look like it's stuff you're going to do just a little later and help you get there. Even if you look at the Warlock stuff, Dark Thier is a big lifesteal bolt and then infantry reanimator the dream is for you to get back your your lifesteal fireball over and over again that ends the game but it takes a minute and that kind of thing is cool too even though you're not you know necessarily doing cost reduction up front you can still do something powerful later that also happens to place pressure on your opponent on your terms yeah yeah i mean like i'm I'm curious to see what some of these changes are to some of these things like last stand for instance i tried to play a last stand deck and god was it bad like last stand you know i i like last stand, if it costs like three, you know, it's like, okay, I last stand. And, and now, you know, I, I play like a huge minion on turn four. That seems like it's also the sort of thing. It's like, is this, is this fun? Is, you know, like if, if, if this is just like a deck archetype that you like last stand, what is it? The injured marauder? 
Oh yeah, you get the uh, a ten twenty that takes six damage. So a ten fourteen on turn four, like it's so it's just like okay, is that is that like a, a thing that you really think is going to make the game better? So I am curious to see like where that goes, right? Um, and yeah, disruptive spellbreaker. I like disruptive spellbreaker a lot, and I think that those sort of cards existing, you know, if there are like combo spell based combo decks, like great, you can you actually have a meaningful way to interact with them that. You know, isn't just like I, you know, play a theater style card, right? It's like, hey, I'm going to disrupt you. You have to answer this. If you don't, it's going to keep disrupting you. And that's that that feels really good as somebody who's trying to play a like mid range controlling style game. Yeah, it remains to be seen what we're going to get, because, again, we just know the list. is, And some of these are just they're only buffing one outcast demon hunter card. Like, yeah, it's and they're only buffing. In Druid, it's only Wither, which is you target a friendly undead, or you target you target a minion, all your friendly undead steal 1-1 one, one in stats from it. I don't know what they're going to do to Wither, but I never built in, like, Druid aggro deck. I'm like, you know, this Wither card that's holding us back. This is really where <laughs> the problem is. Now, there is, like, when you nerf seven cards, especially seven cards that really preclude minions from being played, which Wild Panol always has, you're opening up the format... And I wonder if how many of these are, we think these decks were basically good enough already without no, we just want you to look at them. So here's like a breadcrumb as opposed to actually meaningfully improving the card. Or if you think these cards need some help. I mean, you played Ventral Walber today. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I feel like these sort of buffs feel like, hey, you know, we we kind of we recognize that these like classes or archetypes are underperforming and we want to give them a little boost. Again, we don't know the specifics of them, but, you know, like like. Like, I think like Asvidon was one of the cards in that list, right? It's like, that's always a card that I've had. I've tried a number of times in my warrior decks and it's like, it's never quite felt great because it's just like, you know, it's a three, three for three. It's like the stats aren't really impressive. And then like, yes, sometimes you get people with it on like a big spell or whatever and it can feel good, but like it feels incredibly bad if you just have to play it out. Um so and, and there's even like a I think a showcase version of that or it's either a showcase or a signature diamond version or something. It's like you don't want one of those cards to be something you're like, well, I'm never going to play this card. <laughs> Not that I think that they should necessarily buff based on like the things that they have cosmetics for, but you know you want to buff because it's just not a card for anyone who's playing. Um, and yeah, I, I I think that like stuff like you know oh well you you know you want there to be an incentive to actually play like the undead druid rather than just the token druid that's existed for forever right so you know maybe wither like I, the only thing i really think of I, I can't imagine that they would like make wither like steel two that starts to seem like it's super powerful and get and kind of like scales in a very strange way so i imagine wither is probably just going to cost one instead of two is like the most likely change and that starts to get kind of interesting right where it's like okay you know i i can much more easily fit this into my curve it's not it's you know a like tempo removal effect in addition to a buff to my board. So is this now just like significantly more appealing than the other sort of basic buff stuff you could play in terms of like Herald of Nature or like uh, Power of the Wild or things like that? So I, I think that the like specifically buffing things in relatively niche underplayed strategies like that is a great way that you can make a pretty big impact without changing that many cards that much. Dragon Paladin, I'm here for it. I'm going to be watching for that in the stream. And then- Dragon Paladin already felt good, so I'm yeah. I'm I'm pretty excited that they're they're buffing Time Warden in whatever way they are. And you also tried out uh, like Undead Shadow Priest, and we're getting 
Basilef and Bone Collar. Like and... three buffs. Yeah. I... Bone Collar, Basilef, and uh, Haunting Nightmare. Nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. very curious to see what that looks like, and I'm definitely queuing that up tomorrow. Um, and I'm glad I have all the cards, but there might be an option for people that don't. Yes, it's another ham-fisted segue, because I want to make sure that Kibler gets to eat tonight. Uh, so, there was a survey that went out. We don't have it. It was NDA'd. But PC Gamer has written about it. A subscription service that is being pitched. So, the offers that were floated around the survey, all uncraftable, undustable, four options. $10 subscription, all standard cards for one class every month. $20 a month for all standard cards, period. $10 a month for all standard cards except the current expansion. Or... $10 $10 a month for the current top performing deck for three classes of your choice. So there were other options on the survey, and it's very interesting to think about. And we don't we don't have the survey in front of us. I don't believe these were pitched as replacing the current acquisition model, but we don't know for sure. But there have been a lot of experiments with monetization in the space. I think Snap is probably the biggest innovator in many ways, some more successful than others. And uh I'm I'm Curious where you think a subscription service could land and where you think the genre's challenges are right now, because trying to get someone back into Hearthstone, like you said, new player acquisition is a difficult thing. That might be where I see the biggest opportunity here. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I feel like Blizzard has actually done a lot to make Hearthstone more appealing as either a new or returning player. You know, they've, they've done like free decks, like they've done a bunch of free packs um, and, you know, I, I feel like they're experimenting with a lot of different ways to, because it obviously when you either as a new player or as a lapsed player, it is very intimidating to get back into the game when there's just a ton of cards you not only don't have, but need to to acquire in whatever fashion and and learn. Right. And I think that the sort of free deck thing that they've done uh, for returning players is probably one of the, the stronger ideas because it gives you not only actual cards to get you, you know, playing, but also kind of a direction. You know, I, I think that they they changed it in one of the recent patches that you had an opportunity to basically test drive a few decks and then choose which one you wanted. Because one of the things that I would always yeah, get in, 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 week. in like Twitch chat or whatever is people saying, hey, you know, which is the best deck to get? And it's like, I don't know, because I, I, I just build my own decks and play them. And it's like a lot of times it's like, okay, which is which just has like the most value or the most like high demand things and having an opportunity to like play them and like, you know, get an experience for what you actually like rather than making a decision based on that sort of thing seems a lot better. Uh, but the subscription wise, it's it's hard to really wrap my head around what that would mean, right? Like, especially the the one where you you get like all the cards except the current expansion. It's like, okay, well. Then you just buy all the all the current expansion, and then what happens when, when like things you know do you, do you then like is it rotate? Is it, is this just intended as like kind of a catch up thing? You start playing again, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this this subscription, and then I buy the new expansion, and then you know we'll have those, and then like okay, do you do you then like get the next expansion? Like okay, well, do I now have to buy that subscription for the still have that subscription for the previous ones because I didn't quite get everything from the last new expansion. So is it better for me to keep, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to figure out the, all the specifics of it. I think it's pretty clear to say the one that's everything except the new thing 
you're renting last year's standard cards. If you were to start playing yeah. right now, and you wouldn't want to craft things in Baron's or Stormwind or Alterac, and people would be like, what should you craft? Eh, probably just Astalor. Like, that's what you would say right now. Probably just craft Astalor, buy the Path yeah. of Arthas, and then wait for rotation. But if you can said say, hey, $50 in the pre-order, and then rent last year, that makes sense. It's not yeah, like... Yeah, that's true. As opposed to $20, and I never have to think about standard again... I just always have it all. That's pretty compelling, though. I would imagine it would actually be pretty tough for Wilds numbers because after a couple of years, that would start to catch up with people. And I think in people would constantly have undustable, uncraftable cards. You can't dust when things rotate and then go get wild cards. You just wouldn't play wild. So I'd be curious to see how that would be solved. Do that many people play wild now anyway, though? Like <laughs> it's, They can't afford to go down. They can't yes. afford to lose people, but no, not a lot yeah. of people do. But there's also the idea, I think, that's really compelling in in games like this that, that Classic has shown us there's still at least some interest going back and doing the thing I used to do, especially if, if Standard is stale. Sometimes, up, like, I've been playing Blood, Blood, Unholy DK in Wild. It's super fun because it turns out the hero power being half the price, all your corpse cards now work. And it's just, it's really enjoyable. And I've been doing that instead of getting knolled in Graveyard. And it, I'm having a good time. And if that option wasn't available to me because I never owned again, I was just renting again, that would be, I think there's some challenge there. But yeah. it's still better than just quitting the game entirely and then never coming back because I can't justify the catch-up expense. I, I actually, I really do like the, the the point about specifically like, it giving you an in into being into playing without feeling like you know you you're wasting a ton on cards that are about to rotate right because like right now for instance if someone wants to get back into hearthstone yeah you know, it's like okay well you have an entire year of cards that are going to be gone in three months right so should you bother playing or just wait until april and i mean a lot like my advice to someone who would be getting back into hearthstone would probably be like yeah just wait till rotation Right. And if like they, they want to play something that they see now that looks cool, that's that that's pretty unfortunate advice, right? Because maybe they'll just not want to play it in three months, right? Maybe they'll be they'll be like, all right, well, I'm out. Like I like this one deck, you know, seemed cool to me with something that I, I used to really enjoy. I want to come back and try this, but it's just too much of an investment. So I I do see the like basically backlog. Uh, you know, that you can effectively rent as being something which which does sort of solve some problems um, while not necessarily uh, sort of hitting the sort of primary collection method of, you know, hey, you want to you want to go out there and get the new stuff. As we've learned from Marvel Snap, a bunch of cards up front is great, but then when you have to wait a month to get a thing you want, the space between what I want to do and what I get to do is pretty damaging for enthusiasm and so telling people to wait 90 days before they can play the game they're watching you play right now like they're just like all right i'm gonna go do something else i mean i i do think that they they kind of get around that to at least some degree with again the returning player decks and like you know the bonus packs and yeah. stuff that they offer people because you know you can you can get in and play at least something and from my understanding most of the sort of returning player decks or new player decks or whatever are are all like actually pretty good Right there, it's not like they're you know the the old starter deck style things or even close to it. They're you know pretty close, if not essentially identical to like top level competitive decks right now, um, which 
does give you, you know, more sort of issues when you do, you know, change so many things like we're seeing in this patch. You know, if someone just got a deck and it's like, okay, well, you you, you picked Rogue. None of your cards are, are, you know, what they were a week ago. Yeah, that can be a problem. Though also, I mean, maybe don't pick Rogue next time. Maybe this is an organic campaign by Blizzard to reduce the Rogue population in future ladder. Um, well... Brian, you've been very generous with your time. We do, unfortunately, have a Blizzard News lightning round, but I don't think that we have the bandwidth to cover a whole bunch of really sad stuff that's going on in the larger ABK universe. Um, but it bears mentioning that, first of all, uh, the China servers uh, shut down as of Tuesday, day after Lunar New Year, unfortunately, the really terrible timing. Um, not that there's ever a good time for that, but... They were brought down. We don't have updates, and uh, all of the outcomes I've seen people predict are somewhat pessimistic. So hopefully they are wrong, but uh, the anti-Blizzard sentiment seems to be pretty strong coming out of NetEase and uh, and the market in general, so hopefully that gets resolved. In addition, there is some uh, furor going on right now, rightfully so in my humble opinion. Um, there is a uh, the WoW Classic test lead, Brian Birmingham, resigned in protest of a stack ranking system with a uh, with score quotas provided to him by upper management where he was required to give a certain number of people a developing score which would preclude their opportunity to earn bonuses and merit increases he protested this uh and after a 20 year blizzard career he was by his admission let go uh and everyone that worked in his tank team seems to be suitably devastated so just a one-two punch here at the end of the episode of things that we are not qualified to discuss but seem sad and a total bummer and kind of contribute to the general unease around Blizzard as a company. That, that engineering manager uh, did post a fairly long Twitter thread that uh, went into the specifics of the situation that I highly recommend anyone who is interested check out. There, The tweet is linked in the show notes. I agree. And also a really great insight into good management and bad management and by my experience in 15 years as a manager in retail, uh, this guy, you shouldn't let this guy go. This guy knows what he's talking about. <sighs> Heavy episode, man. But A lot of stuff that sucks, but... <laughs> yeah. Hey, patch tomorrow! Hooray! <laughs> At least one of the things that sucked about today is not going to be here tomorrow. So, patrons, listeners, thank you so much. We were supported by you, our epic patrons. You can become a TAC patron by going to patreon.com slash TAC. Gives you access to the TAC Discord. Thank you so much to our producers, Dustin C. and Jared F. You can follow the show at TAC Podcast. We're live Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern here on twitch.tv slash Plays. Kibler, plug your stuff. I want to hear about it. Yeah, uh, I am BM Kibler everywhere. Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. TikTok. We're too old for TikTok. I do have a TikTok. I've been posting a bunch of stuff promoting our new show. Commander at Home, which is a new Magic the Gathering Commander gameplay show uh, that is a lot of fun. I highly recommend you check it out. People seem to love our first episode, which makes me very happy because I love it too. So uh, if you're at all interested in Magic, and even if you're not, I've had people say, I don't understand any of this and I loved watching it. So check it out. Yeah, it's uh, Commander is the social format that I think Hearthstone would really uh, wish it had an equivalent to, but it's really something special on its own. 
Um, you can find Joss over on Twitter at Joss Plays. Remember, Unicorn Gifts, always welcome. Send them to her, uh, and she'll be back in a couple weeks, both here and on her other show, The Gamers In. Whereas you can find me, as as you mentioned, this is one of my three Hearthstone podcasts. I, I don't know why, but I'm going to keep doing them. Twitter.com slash Ridiculous Hat is the hub of my content, and then I do uh, Coin Conceit to make the competitive side of the game more accessible to you. We might have to work in that tagline, but we're going to keep sticking with that for now. And Vicious Syndicate, we take a data-driven look at the uh, high-level Legend metagame. That's going to do it here in the Angry Chicken. Until next time, job's done. You can say that too. Job's done, yeah. Job's done.